we just sang that song and his words were taken verbatim from the 42nd Psalm. And so when we're admonished in the New Testament to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs per the commandment of Colossians 3.16 and also that in Ephesians 5.19, we just did that exactly as we sang almost verbatim one of the words found in Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2. Isn't it good to be able to come back together this evening to be blessed by the God of heaven with another opportunity to do that which is so pleasing to Him? When we worship the God of heaven, we do so, of course, it's a great benefit to us to be able to be here. But we appreciate what a statement it makes about the truth of the God that we serve. Tonight, as we give some thought for the next few moments, you've already noticed the title of the lesson having to do with remembering the poor. As I developed this lesson and gave some consideration to it, it weighed rather heavily in some ways on my mind. And I, I trust as we share some of the aspects some of the considerations having to do with this topic, maybe we'll each be encouraged to have a clear understanding of what is the biblical perspective of it. These opening thoughts will provide us at least with an opportunity to get started. Isn't it true that as you and I read through both Old and New Testament, we find that there are so very many references to those that are poor. Not only is that true, again, in the days that were in the ancient Old Testament era, but also in the days of Jesus, in the days of the book of Acts. There are hundreds of references literally in the Bible to those that are poor, and even indirect references would number far more than that. But there are some interesting lessons that you and I can take from those episodes and texts that have to do with the poor. And as we look at just a few of them tonight we'll learn some rather valiant lessons about the poor themselves, but also about you and I and our approach to them. As you come to the bottom of that slide, some of these we might even label as obligations, and so let's get started with the following point. First of all, the reality, the existence, if you will, of those that are materially poor. It goes without saying that there are certainly many individuals upon this earth, and yea, I suppose it has ever been so, who are blessed with a fair amount of this world's wealth. They are not materially poor, if you please, but rather they are in some ways rather wealthy. And the Bible even makes a listing of those who would be in that category. A very brief listing might include Abraham. And the book of Genesis informs us that this gentleman, this man who, though righteous he was, he was blessed so abundantly by God in chapter 14, he had enough servants. He, in fact, could go and wage war against those who had captured his nephew Lot. Suffice it to say, Abraham was a very well-to-do man, physically speaking. However, what about Job? Here was another gentleman, as the book of Job commences, that we read about one who was one of the greatest men in the days of the East. However, that wealth that he enjoyed... A large number of possessions, including camels and oxen. We easily understand, though, that his heart wasn't deterred to perceive that that was all that there was. In the same breath in which, though, we could make those statements, what about the following one? Isn't it also true that there were in the ancient days, and yea, there still are those today who are rather bereft of this world's goods? I would ask that you notice quickly some of these passages. Didn't your mind almost immediately race to the widow in Luke 21, who she cast into the treasury but two mites, and the Lord highly commended her. 
but that's all she had. Compared to the others who cast in so much, she had but so little. But yet the Lord commended her mightily and left a lasting impression as to the sweetness and the character that went with her choice. In Jeremiah chapter 39, reference is made. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, when the captivity was beginning, he left behind the poor of the land. He didn't want to take them to Babylon. They weren't fitting for his attention, you see. Another statement about the existence of those that were poor. As you come near the close of that slide with me, isn't it easy then to say this? As far back as Deuteronomy 15, 11, the God of heaven rather directly and rather powerfully said as he spoke through Moses to the people about the existence of the poor. They're always going to be the poor. Jesus echoed that refrain when we come to Mark, doesn't he? In Mark chapter 14, verse number 7, on that occasion when a woman had put some ointment on some oil, if you please, on her master, anointing him, there were those that were a bit beset in rebuke of it. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Doesn't that remind us we've now come 20 centuries since that day, and there are still those that are poor, and there certainly are still those that are rather wealthy. As we close that slide, might we say, the existence of the poor then is no longer a question. We understand that. But in addition to that, what are some biblical reasons as to why an individual might be poor? Does the Bible have anything to say about it? And the answer is yes. We have laid before us a number of causes, a number of considerations that may have been a contributor to a person finding him or herself in a condition of poverty. I have placed them in no particular order, but this one at least is mentioned several times in Proverbs. There are some individuals who find themselves in a state of poorness, by and large by their own choice. Due to their laziness and their slothfulness, they ultimately bring themselves into a condition whereby they might well be described as poor. I might call to your attention Proverbs 20 verse 13. We are given an explicit commandment, love not sleep. Those who like that too much, he says, are going to find themselves in poverty. And later in Proverbs 24 verses 33 and 34, one more time we're admonished that those who like slumber too much and those who like sleep too much will find themselves in poverty. Poorness will come upon them like an armed man. That's a sobering reminder to all of us in at least an indirect way that the God of heaven looks with great advantage upon proper sleep and proper rest. But taken too far so that it lapses into slothfulness or laziness and look at what may well come of it. But that isn't the only cause whereby some may find themselves poor. Look at the next one. In Proverbs 28 verse number 19. Reference is there made by that ancient man of wisdom as he made observation about some who found themselves in poverty because of the poor choices they had made. They had acted foolishly. They had wasted the blessings that they had been given in some way. Maybe you and I also can think of some who, though at one time had much perhaps by some very poor choices, taking unnecessary risks perhaps, they ultimately ended up with very little. 
it seems as though Solomon warned against taking risks in such a way that foolishness and folly would characterize one's disposition of that wealth that one has. Perhaps in a third case, what about calamity? Now those first two we noted, be it laziness or be it the circumstances surrounding the matter of folly or foolishness, that of course rests upon the individual choice that a person makes. But isn't it true that there are other circumstances such as calamity? We read in 2 Kings 4 verses 1 and following about a woman. She was a widow. Now back in that day and time, of course, a lady by and large depended much upon her husband to care for her, to provide for her, to ensure that she and the children had what was needed. This woman's husband died. And she was very much left in a state of hardship, so much so that she approached the prophet, bringing to his recognition the fact of what she was suffering. The God of heaven saw fit to take care of that circumstance. But aren't we reminded, this woman faced calamity. It was brought on not by, no, by any choice that she had made. Today, there still can be calamity meteorological phenomena, weather-related matters, and sometimes great hardship is brought about because of the loss that comes therefrom. As we think about all of these things, might we never forget the following. In Proverbs 22.2, it makes note that whether rich or poor, the God of heaven is still in control. And the God of heaven is able not only to be aware of what each one is suffering or being blessed with, but He is able to provide the sustenance and thoroughfare by which ease can again be understood. As we think about poverty, as we think about this attribute of being poor, let's use that to look at the next one. And this one is a rather stern warning, I suppose, for each of us. I suppose we're perhaps tempted to look with such a state of pity upon those who are poor. Maybe we look almost condescendingly with an element of sadness toward their lot. And perhaps there's an element of that that's understood. But the Word of God, as I studied this, was ever so quick to remind us that we ought to at least appreciate these passages as well. Consider this with me. This world's goods and all of the wealth and the material matters that come with it is not the final matter of what determines ultimate worth didn't Jesus say it like this in Matthew chapter 6 lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust hath corrupt and where thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust hath corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also now the Lord wasn't against money but he was against that being one's treasure. He, in fact, directly asserted where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be. Isn't it true? We read about a rich man in Luke 16 who was very much not in a pleasant circumstance. Although it was true in this world, he had all that perhaps one could wish for in that regard. As soon as death had occurred, then what was the story? On the other hand, there was a poor beggar named Lazarus, and in this world may have been bereft of virtually every physical blessing imaginable. But after death, the tables were turned. After death, circumstances were reversed. And it was Lazarus that was comforted. It was the rich man that was tormented. 
And so before we're too quick to have too much pity, at least in recognition of that, might we appreciate this passage. In James 2 verse 5, we'll look at that one in fact next. Reference is therein made to those that are poor. And on the other hand it says, Aren't you aware that they are the very ones that are rich in faith? Have you ever known of someone who may well not have had nearly as much as others physically, but yet they had a spirit that was unquenchable. They had a heart that truly was unselfish and a heart that was directed toward the truth in every way in which they appreciated it. More than anything else, they wanted to be right with God. And although they didn't have a lot of wealth, their table always had plenty. They had a warm roof over their head. And they had clothes on their back, and for that they were eternally grateful. That kind of spirit captures one's attention, and yet, in the book of James, even he makes reference to ideas much like that. I suppose as one gives thought to the, those that are poor, we all know that in our modern society, in our modern culture, that it seems as though often those that like to pretend to be poor take advantage of those who have enough. It seems as though they're in a day that goes by but what some scheme is uncovered or at least some approach is made in which a person pretends to be poor when really they're not, all to play upon the heartstrings of those who have enough. May I ask that in the days of the Old Testament we remember in Exodus 23, verse number 3, a powerful reminder was given when it comes to matters of justice and when it comes to matters of, let's say, carrying out the matters of the day, don't you ever, in fact, exalt the poor just because they're poor. There is a that which is right. And don't you, in fact, weight evidence in their favor just because they're poor. Truth is still more important. That which is right is still more important. Doesn't it remind us, certainly in light of all these things, that one can go too far and try to benefit the poor when that really isn't in their long-term best interest. We here at the Pippin Congregation, we, our elders, take very seriously when an individual makes a benevolent request. Someone comes and speaks to them and makes statements as to the dire circumstances in which they are. And sometimes it's people that are poor. Our elders like to appreciate whether or not they're sharing the truth. What is it that they're saying and is it credible? Those are all important considerations to be sure. The next point in the lesson tonight asks us to think about all these things in this way as well. And here is something very seriously asserted, it seems, very often in the Word of God. The God of heaven takes careful notice of the plight of the poor. He watches with interest because he too is concerned and he wants their needs met. We're about to study that with some care. But let's begin that discussion in ways like this. When a person is, is legitimately poor and cries unto God in Psalm 34, 5, he promised to hear them and he promised to in fact act in their favor. Notice again, God promised to hear them. There are some rather strong warnings, perhaps stated like this next one. In Isaiah 41, 17, God, even in the days of Isaiah, rather clearly decreed that, I will not forsake them, 
Now, isn't it true that in that ancient time, perhaps the poor had often been forsaken? Pleas perhaps they had made to those in position and authority had gone unanswered, but God said, I know their plight, and I will hear them. Thirdly, you might notice with me from Amos 2, verses 6 and following, a stern, stern statement was made by God. If I may but paraphrase parts of that verse and the couple that follow it. God said, if any of you purposefully oppress those that are poor, trying to extract something from them or benefit yourself of them, I will take note of your oppression of them and I will punish you for it. Here was again a class of people who had perhaps so often been bereft of the blessings of this earth and perhaps even others had had a part in bringing them to that position. And yet, God said, I know very well those are in that condition and I'll punish those others who particularly and willfully oppress them. Today in our land and in our present society, we again often are reminded about those who find themselves in positions of poverty. Look at the next lesson as you think about that. The day of judgment. Isn't it true that you and I are taught by Jesus in Matthew 25? As He made reference to that day of judgment, there were six classes of things that had taken place. And while on earth... He noted that there were some on that occasion who were so mightily blessed because they had visited the prisons and they'd visited the sick and they had fed the hungry. All of that reminds us, does it, about elements of those who were in poverty and yet those that were Christian people had sought to their needs and had taken appropriate measure to relieve when possible. Interesting, isn't it? Certainly the matter of the judgment... And the characteristics of being noticed by God then brings us directly to the case before us tonight. Remembering the poor. You noticed in the lesson text taken from Galatians 2, verse number 10. Wasn't it true that on that occasion here was Paul and as he appeared before these pillars or at least spoke about these pillars of the faith, he said that the one request they had made of him was that he remember the poor. But Paul was quick to say, I was also forward to do that. That wasn't any new information for me. As we think about remembering the poor, let's develop it like this. Our God makes provisions, and hasn't it been so? In Deuteronomy 24, God gave a very particular command, a command that went somewhat like this. When the harvest time comes, you leave the corners of the field for the stranger for the widows and for those that are poor. Don't you gather all the way up near the borders or the edges of the field. You leave that for them. And not only that, when the grape harvest comes and you go through and you gather your grapes, if you accidentally drop one, don't you go back and pick it up. You leave it for them. Not only that, after you've passed through the vineyard once, don't go back and pass through it again. Whatever is still there, I'm leaving it for those that are widows and those that are poor. God made provision for them. Now, they had to exert the effort to go and gather those things, of course, but God provided. Perhaps that provision leads you to notice in Proverbs 29, verse 7, here a different writer. This time, instead of Moses, it's Solomon. 
But he makes reference to the fact that there was a command by God given in consideration of those that were poor. It is true, isn't it, that in those two examples, you probably can think of additional Old Testament references given. I consider, though, that we might go to the New Testament. In Luke 14, verses 12 and following, the statement, the record, the presentation is made on that occasion. Is it about a great feast and the service that's rendered and presented? It's a sweet reminder, isn't it, about how that even there, referenced by the Lord of heaven, was made concerning the poor. That next statement that I would bring before you, as so many verses call upon those then and now to remember the poor, that text in Galatians chapter 2, let's place that in its context again. Those pillars before whom Paul stood included James and included Peter. These mighty early New Testament individuals who themselves had such a vital part to play in the ongoing development and expansiveness of the church. And yet the particular message that they delivered to this young preacher Paul, remember the poor. Does it sound as if the early church was considered and interested in the church and interested in the poor? And surely the answer is yes. We should ask then, should that still be the case? Is it the will of heaven that the church today be mindful of, interested in, and desirous of carrying out the duties with respect to those that are poor? Let's close that slide by looking at 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18. Whoso hath this world's good, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Isn't that a sobering question? So those who are blessed with this world's good and yet have no concern, no compassion for those that are poor, how does the love of God dwell in that person who has those things? We're thankful here at the Pippin Congregation that into our treasury we can contribute our funds as commanded by the God of heaven on the first day of the week. And yet of those funds we are able to provide assistance, to provide appropriate means and necessary matters to those that are poor. And we're thankful to the God of heaven that He allows us to do that. Because we are concerned about their plight when they come into those circumstances for reasons beyond that are outside their control. That haunting question of 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18 still rings as powerfully today as it did then. It might well be in light of that that we come to this next slide in which we're able to consider these promised blessings. Tonight, as we give thought to remembering the poor, I'd like to use this slide in particular as a challenge for each of us because it appears to me the Bible presents it that way. And it's a challenge that comes with so many wonderful blessings and rewards. I realize that we're not in the business of Christianity for the personal benefit of what God will do to us with money and wealth. We're in it because we love the Lord and we want to have our sins forgiven and we want to go to heaven. But could I ask you to notice Psalm 41? The opening few verses of Psalm 41 is a rather remarkable passage. Listen to what it says about the obligation that's yours and mine concerning the poor. I'll begin reading in verse number 1 of Psalm 41. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. 
The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. Isn't that almost breathtaking? Let's begin again in verse 1 and piece that together somewhat slowly. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. So immediately before the ancient psalmist, who was David, we have a reference that there's a blessing from God upon those who remember and consider the poor. I wonder what some of the particular blessings from God will be on that person who does consider the poor. We understand well that this was written beneath the Old Testament era, but might I ask us to consider the principles in it that may be so wonderfully useful to you and me today. So you or I, a blessing is pronounced if we consider the poor. What kind of blessing, what benefits come our way if we consider the poor? Look at verse 1. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. May I ask, is it still true that individuals, including Christians, face troubles? Is it still the case that individuals, including Christians, often face matters they never dreamed coming and they often pose great troubles? You and I can easily mention many of them. Consider just one. There's a fine Christian person who goes about his or her business on a daily basis and never thinks about the opportunities that may well come from difficult or circumstantial information. But yet... Perhaps due to no fault of that person, something happens and someone who is nearby files lawsuit against that Christian. Even if the person's innocent, it may cost a lot of money to buy the lawyer work to keep you from having trouble in jail or to have your reputation slandered. May I say again, is it possible trouble can come? God says to the man that remembers and considers the poor, God will deliver him out of something like that. Look at verse 2. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. All of us treasure life in this flesh. We're thankful for the opportunity that's ours to walk upon this wonderful earth that God has fashioned and made. And yet we all know that there isn't a day that goes by that we know we're under the possibility of death. Driving along the roadway, any of us could be in an accident. Any of us could be the, under the plight and difficulty of a driver who makes a terrible choice to get behind a wheel when he shouldn't. We all know that someone could wield a gun when he ought not. The text says those that consider the poor, God will keep him alive. What else in verse 2? He shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him under the will of his enemies. Do we as Christians also have enemies? Are there individuals who don't always wish the best for us? Who in fact, if given the opportunity, would purposefully, deliberately do something to harm or injure us? God says to the man who remembers the poor, who considers the poor, I will not deliver him into the will of his enemies. Does it sound as if it's an important thing to be mindful of the poor? Look at verse 3. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. May I ask, do Christians sometimes get sick? 
Do Christians on occasion suffer illness in terms of health? And we know the answer is yes. Did you notice how that verse ended though? Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. Don't you want the God of heaven to make your bed for you? To make it so that health returns to you and you can again enjoy the strength that you wish to if you remember the poor. To those that have consideration for the poor, God has promised a lot of wonderful things. Don't you agree? May I suggest to each of us tonight, as we go about our activities of the day, may we remember the poor, having in mind opportunities that's ours to appropriately provide them with help and assistance. And again, may we do that using our contribution, using our treasury when possible. But also, if we have personal opportunities to do this as an individual or a family, may we be mindful of the poor. It really is remarkable to notice the blessings that come. As we close that slide and also come near the close of our lesson this evening, isn't it interesting to rehearse for a moment some of the words of the New Testament? I would call to your attention in Romans 12, verse 13, the opportunity that was mentioned on that occasion in regard to the church at Rome. There it says, distributing to the necessity of saints. Notice he didn't specifically select the poor, but didn't he say distributing the necessity? Those that are poor are the ones in necessity in so many cases. And yet the church of the first century not only saw it as an opportunity, but yea, a great blessing in which they were able to do this. To that we might add Galatians 6 verse number 10. As Paul came near the close of that Galatian letter, wasn't it true to them? He said that we have the urgency, we have the blessing to do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. Remember the poor. Tonight, as we've studied about remembering them, we have looked primarily at some passages drawn from the Old Testament, admittedly, but the principles, it seems, were uttered from the lips of our Lord as well as etched within the character of the early first century church. We've come 20 centuries or so since then, but there are still poor in the world. May we be mindful, considerate, compassionate, and of course do for them that which would be in keeping with what's ultimately in their best interest. Let's never reward the lazy. Let's never reward the foolish or those guilty of folly. But may we also have a heart of compassion because the God of heaven apparently does. And as we remember them, May we appreciate that God will look with favor upon those of us who certainly do because He's promised so many wonderful blessings. Tonight as we close this lesson, there might be someone here who's not a Christian, someone who isn't a faithful Christian. There would never be a finer time than this moment to make things right between you and God. The God of heaven has done His part. He put in place a plan of salvation. He sent His Son to execute it and in fact make it a reality but He leaves us with the decision of choosing to obey it, to bring our lives into harmony with it. Tonight, if you aren't one who's done that, why do you delay? Sometimes we sing that song, Why do you wait? You know there's danger in delay. There's possibly even death in delay. Do you suppose that rich man knew he was going to die the next day? Do you suppose he appreciated what that was going to bring? And we know the answer is no. None of us know that tomorrow is going to be a reality at all for us. Why not make it right today? 
if we could help you in doing that. The plan of salvation has been unchanged now for 20 centuries. You must believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you must repent of your sins, and you must confess the sweetness of His name as the only begotten Son of God, and you must be baptized for the remission of sins. And if we could help you in that way tonight, we'd be delighted and helpful in any way that we could. If you need to return to your first love, though, what better night than tonight? A group of faithful people desires to pray to God for you. We know that upon your repentance and confession, God will forgive those sins. If we could help you tonight, I hope that we each then could leave this building, this structure this evening, in a right relationship with God. And if at this moment you need to come in a public way, why not do it while together we stand and sing?